You're listening to Season 6 of Fried, the Burnout Podcast with your host, Kate Donovan. Fried exists to hashtag end burnout culture, to help listeners release any shame, blame, guilt, or judgment that you have about burning out, and to create spontaneous moments of healing through recognition of shared humanity with other people who have experienced burnout and lived to tell the tale. Fried and its associated Facebook group are free resources provided for you from our hearts. Our paid work includes keynote speaking and one-on-one coaching. You can find information about that at katedonovan.com. And now, here is this week's Healing Packed episode. Hello, Fried fam! Today we are going to dip into a conversation that a lot of you are having backstage, but we have not had on the main stage since season one. So it is time to revisit the topic of imposter syndrome. And today we get to talk to Nina Blackshear about imposter syndrome. And Nina is an attorney and an executive coach whose confidence level has been lovingly described as quote unquote, almost sociopathic. (laughs) But it wasn't always that way. She used to suffer from imposter syndrome until she realized the keys to not just managing it, but eliminating it. Using warmth, humor, and real talk, she now specializes in coaching high power and high potential women to overcome obstacles like imposter syndrome so they can bring forth their full potential and achieve outrageous success. And I will add to that introduction that I met Nina at a workshop that I was keynoting uh, about a year ago by the time this comes out. And she was in the audience and I adored her so much that we started stalking each other on LinkedIn. (laughs) She said some really smart things during the conference, both on a panel and also from the audience. And we just have been in a a sort of social media love affair ever since. So Nina, I'm thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to have you here today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, you're right. We've... uh... We've been circling each other for quite some time. And so I'm just glad we're able to make this happen. I'm so excited to talk to you, talk about burnout, talk about imposter syndrome and help some people along the way. Let's do it. Let's do it. And the funniest part was everybody, I, you know, I had Nina in my mind and you all have all heard that I have a massive list of guests that I can't seem to get through. And Nina had been in the back of my head and I hadn't reached out to her. And I commented on yet another one of her posts and she sent me an email. She's like, girl, can we stop flirting? Can we just, <laughs> can we just do this, please? And I was like, actually, yeah, yes, actually, yes, let's do that. So yeah. as we start this episode, I'm going to sort of sit back and leave some space for you to share your burnout story. And one of the things that's interesting about your story is that you burnt out and you didn't stay in that job, but you didn't leave the corporate world, which is a a little bit of a shift from what a lot of people go through, even though you do do things outside of the corporate world too. Like you, so you live in in both places. So I'm going to sit back and let you tell that story so that can set the stage for the rest of our conversation. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, my, my burnout story and, you know, as I sort of teed it up to Kate is that, um, I burnt out on the job that I thought I wanted the most, right? I was uh, working at a large pharmaceutical company. I had a sort of, I have a very varied background. I've done a lot of things in my career. I have a very non-traditional path 
And we can certainly talk about that later if you like. But along the way, I was working in HR and I was doing a function called employee relations, which is, um, you know, basically you're investigating all the stuff that people do wrong. And oh, am I allowed to cuss a little on this? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, just making sure I didn't want to drop a bad word and it had to be bleeped out. So, um, you know, it's very interesting. And you always have the best stories at cocktail parties about the wacky shit that people are up to at work. But it will really grind you down. Right. Because it's it's just bad news every time your phone rings. And I was looking around at what else I wanted to do. And I just thought, you know, I kind of looked at marketing and marketing communications, which is sort of how, especially at a large pharmaceutical company, how we communicate with uh, consumers and, and, you know, doctors and that kind of thing, how our sales force talks to them. And I thought, oh yeah, that, that'd be great. Like that sounds fun and working with agencies and creative and all these things. And so I did two six month back to back special assignments on top of my regular day job, which was already very busy um, to be able to kind of be considered for that jump over to the business side of what we were doing. And I was finally able to make the transition and I got there and it is flat out the worst job that I have ever had. I, I don't know why the 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 special assignments didn't properly prepare me for what it was actually going to be like day to day. It's very frustrating when you work in a situation where people always want, you know, people always want innovation. That's always the word that's sort of tossed around. Oh, we want people to be innovative, right? But I worked for a very conservative uh, pharmaceutical company who said things like the words innovation, but didn't actually want that, right? So you spend a lot of time and energy and money working with these agencies to come up with innovative concepts. And of course, you have to be compliant, you have to work within the rules, but it went beyond that. Like you spend all this time doing all this work just to basically be told they wanted you to do it like we did it last year, right? But then being mad that we didn't have innovation, that that word just sort of nebulously kept coming up. Um, I worked with um, a marketing partner who, under the guise of wanting to be a mentor, was actually a super crazy micromanager, although not actually my boss, um, set up one-on-ones every day at 4.30 with me because uh, she was very weird about, you know, we had a very liberal working from home policy even back then. She didn't really like that. So that was her way of making sure that I was like at the office and staying there all day. Again, I did not work for this person. So, you know, that and then just sort of the constant pace every week you had to go to this thing where they'd review your materials. You'd have to go talk to a lawyer, a regulatory person and a medical, a medical person to make sure that they were approving your stuff. And, you know, it would just um, get they'd get behind. They wouldn't get to your things. You were worried that you weren't going to get it approved or they wouldn't get through it. You'd go back. Your marketing partner would be screaming at you that you didn't have it done. And it was like this constant hamster wheel. You couldn't take a vacation because it was like just constant every week you had to you're preparing for the next weekly meeting to see if you could get your stuff on the books. You had to get it in four days ahead of time. And if you missed that, then you missed that meeting. And again, now you've got somebody screaming at you because you missed the deadline. It was completely unsustainable and completely insane. Like, you know, and, and other people that I've talked to, you know, who were in that function as well, had the same experience. So I knew it wasn't just me, but you get into, and I talk about this a lot with people you get these blinders on when you're in a particular kind of environment, like a toxic environment, a very high pressure environment. It was also a high performance environment. I'm not saying there weren't really talented people at this company. There were, but it was sort of all within this sort of toxic soup. And you get into this striving posture all the time where you're like, I have to make this work. I have to be successful. I have to get to that next level and I have to do it here. 
I have to do it here at this company because that's how I'll know that I made it. And for somebody like me, that's a little type A, a little competitive. Don't ask my cousins how game night goes. We don't have to talk about it, right? But for somebody like me, you can get very, very caught caught up in that and you know having to examine which I've done sort of retrospectively the part my ego played in all of that right and and how I was valuing myself as a person um so we were going through you know I I literally hated my job I hated it and I had no idea how I was going to get out of it and again you again in those that blinder striving posture but I have to make this work here if I don't make it work here I'm a failure And I was just done. I mean, I was stressed. I was sick. I was, you know, you know, uh, intestinal things going on where you're like, do I have Crohn's disease? Like just stress that's like manifesting itself. Your back and your neck are just in knots all the time. We were going through one of our like umpteenth rounds of layoffs and my position came up as being eliminated. And I went in there and, you know, the, the, my second level manager sort of had the sad face of, you know, oh, sorry, but you know, your position has been eliminated and I just couldn't stop smiling. (laughs) Right. Like, and I, like, I think she thought maybe she should call somebody, like maybe I was having a breakdown in the meeting because I was like wildly smiling, but I just couldn't believe that I had been saved. Like I felt like I had been rescued from a horrible burning ship, like, and that somebody was handing me a bucket of money as I was exiting that ship. Right. Because as much as I was like, I have to leave, there were real financial implications for me and my family. If I just pulled the plug, even though that would have been better for my overall health. And I didn't feel like I really had the freedom to do that. And so I know that bind that people find themselves in. So I was very fortunate that this sort of confluence of events came together and I was able to sort of dance out the door with some money. I was able to take six months off um, where I did a lot of like yoga and going to the farmer's market and trying to figure out what my next move was. I mean, I had to go back to work. I mean, I wish I were independently wealthy. I am not. So I knew I had to do something, but it gave me that little bit of breathing room and coming out of that experience. You almost have like this PTSD, like you, those blinders fall away a little bit as you see that there's this whole other world out there that you had blinded yourself to, and they had blinded you to, to a certain extent, right. To keep you there, to keep you grinding, And talking to other people, um, you know, the word toxic is the word that kept coming up about that environment. So other people having that same experience. Um, So that's that's where I hit burnout. And luckily, life intervened and sent me a bit of a life preserver. But um, it was it was it was pretty bad. What do you think would have happened had you not been laid off? I think I would have stayed. I love to say to myself that I would have pulled my eventually pulled myself up out of that situation. But I'm not sure that that's true. It's like a bad romantic relationship. Sometimes mm-hmm. something happens, you meet somebody new, and that sort of pulls you out of something bad. You like to think you would have left independently. I'm not sure that that's true. I think that I would have just gotten sicker and sicker. I think it was taking a toll on my personal relationships. I'm sure it was taking a toll on my marriage. I'm sure it was taking a toll on how I was showing up as a parent. Um, I, I think I would have just broken down. I mean, it just the, the constant pressure and the fact that it just yawned into infinity is one of the most hopeless feelings in the entire world. And so what I try to tell people, and I'll say this on any panel that will have me, is there are other 
places to go. There are other places to work. There are other places or other things that you can be doing. It's not just this. You don't have to succeed in this particular place. Like take the blinders off, open the vista, lift that head up for just a second. We're all so bowed and broken sometimes. And in that striving stance, like you mentioned, I had a conversation with a friend of a friend called me and said, my friend is really struggling. Like, will you talk to them? And I was like, sure. You know, okay, fine. I don't know what I'm going to do in 45 minutes, but I'll do what I can. And we get on the phone and she's explaining to me this situation that she's in at work. And it's clear that she's being pushed to perform and also she's being pushed out at the same time Mm -hmm. like the management doesn't want her there and from the outside it's real obvious and she is pretzeling herself into every shape imaginable because if she can just get it right then Mm -hmm. this torture will stop right and i said to her getting it right is quitting I do not ever tell people to quit lightly. I've never been in a position in my life where I could quit a job and like skate for mm-hmm. a while. Like I I don't, I just don't have that ability financially. So I understand that I'm, I'm not telling you to quit before you work through something else. I'm not telling you to avoid talking to recruiters before you quit, you know, do it the right way, take your time, but you're not going to be able to win in every situation, no matter what you do, you can pretzel yourself and pretzel yourself and pretzel yourself into shapes that pretzels don't even come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. And they're still not going to care. Cor- correct. And, you know, you you had um, commented or uh, liked something on LinkedIn, and then I think I kind of like tagged along on it. It was talking about how um, you know, high achievers and high performers, you have to kind of address burnout a little bit differently, right? And I think that's that's what you probably found with Hertz. You know, when you're used to being successful in like an academic setting, right? Or in an earlier in your career setting, and then you you start to find yourself hitting a wall in a professional setting, there's this piece inside you that says, I just have to work harder, right? I know I can do it. Like I just work harder work longer, um, have lunch with the right people, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, to some extent, sure. Right. But to, to what you said about, you know, twisting yourself into a pretzel, compromising your integrity around who you actually are, mm-hmm. um, which right feeds into that whole idea of imposter syndrome, right? When you start to compromise the integrity of who you actually are in order to fit a culture, in order to gain an opportunity, um, you know, in order to achieve in, in a in a culture that may not be that interested in your success, um, that's when that imposter syndrome also starts to creep in in addition to the burnout. Right. And it feeds on each other like a snake eating its own tail, because the more you pretzel yourself and strive to be something that you're not, the more stressed out you're going to be. And so you add that internal burnout on top of what external factors are creating burnout. And it's a recipe for like bursting spontaneously into flame. There's that's a funny fact that I enjoy that there are actually this is a terrible thing to enjoy, but I'm not a normal person spontaneous combustion of humans has happened yes there are like documented cases of it well it's also like when you see those people who are like real life superheroes i'm sorry this is so off topic but like you see the guy who can like 
twist a frying pan like this like yes. with his hands. He just has some weird tensile strength in his hands that's very unusual. So these people must have some weird like chemical makeup that comes together to that create just, a bomb. That's, ooh, that's, that's terrible. It's wild, right? I want to stay stuck for a moment in this um, high achiever winning space because um, A, raising hand emoji and B, it's something I hear really frequently in the Facebook group and from coaching clients. I had a conversation that came out in the beginning of November with Newton Cheng, who is the director of health and performance at Google. And one of the things that we spoke about was being honest about what's going on in your world and labeling things correctly and allowing them to be what they are. So as someone who was successful at school and successful at building and successful at and successful at, when I came up against places where I wasn't successful, having to not reframe the fact that I just failed at something was really hard internally because I had to just be like, well, I, I failed and I might've failed because of some external things. I, I couldn't have been successful. Like I failed at opening an acupuncture practice in New York city. I opened it six months before COVID hit, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it wasn't going to be successful. There was not a lot I could have done to make it be successful, but it still failed. And Noon was talking about, instead of telling people in the beginning, he said, well, I'm on mental health leave. And people were like, oh, you're having a sabbatical. And he's Mm. like, no, I'm on mental health leave. Let's call it what it is. And I went to an event and I was talking about this failing, not as a self-deprecating moment, just as a, this is the story of what happened. And it was a room of women and all of them reframed it for me immediately. The whole room was like, no, it's a learning experiment and it's an opportunity to figure out it's a, you were guided correctly by the universe and you were, and I was like, whoa. It failed. Does that I'm not saying that that says anything about me as a person, but it failed. So, can we? Is it something that you work with with clients to help them realize that this situation, blinders off, is not going to be tenable for you? Like, I'm never going to be a concert pianist because that's a failing proposition for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that something that? Yeah, I I think it's for me, it's a yes. And Mm. all right. So I'm going to borrow from improv. Do it. I think that you can call things what they are, right? A failure is a failure. The problem is that we attach meaning to that, right? Right. We attach, we attach a, a negative or a positive value to whatever it is when it's just a fact, honestly, right? The fact is that that business failed. Now you can feel however you want to feel about it. Right. But we load that with this judgment around what that means about you as a person, as a professional, as an acupuncturist, as, you know, just like a human. Um, I think the yes. And is that I do do a lot of reframing, but I think you still have to look realistically at what happened. Right. So yeah, it failed. Okay, fine. External, internal factors, whatever the case may be, we can talk about that all day. And it can also be a gift from the universe. And it can also be 
information, evidence, an important data point, right? I yes. tell people all the time, you know, if, uh, when I encourage uh, people that I'm coaching to maybe have some kind of, you know, honest conversation at work because they're feeling like stuck or stymied or like they're not getting what they want, start to ask some honest questions. Be prepared for honest answers, right? And although the answer may be disappointing to you, it will be an important data point. It will, help, it will help to guide you, right? And so sometimes people like to live in the ambiguity, right? They're like, oh, I'm not really sure what they think of me, but you're also not asking because you don't actually want to hear it, right? You're not really ready to hear feedback that doesn't sound good to you, especially if you're a high achiever and you've always done everything great, 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 almost perfect, straight A's and 4.0 and, you know, blah, whatever, however we measure success in our society currently, right? Um, you don't, you don't want to hear that, but it's important data for you to have, because sometimes that means you won't, you're going to fail repeatedly in this environment. Right. It doesn't mean that you can't have wild success over here, but you want to prove to yourself that you can get these people to accept or value or like or embrace or promote or whatever it is. It's very similar to personal relationships, right? And, and I think a lot of what I talk to people about is I'm not a therapist. I'm when I am coaching people, it, I am not <clears throat> giving them therapy, right? But and yes, and um <laughs> We show up in the professional space as our full selves, right? Like we bring a lot of other things into that workplace. And I'm speaking from personal experience that you will make some of the same mistakes over and over and over again, particularly in your professional life. If you don't get underneath why you're doing certain things, why you feel certain pressures, why you feel certain obligations, whatever the case may be, what something avoid you're seeking to fill. I realized through therapy on, you know, on the side, I realized that I had a big void to fill. I don't talk about this a lot because, but we're going to go there. Okay. We're going to go right. there. You ready? I'm ready. I'm okay. ready. Cause I'm pretty sure my mom's never going to listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> One of the things that um, I uncovered in therapy that completely changed everything that I did professionally is when my therapist, after sharing some of the relationships I've been in and how I was raised, said, your mother was your first narcissist. Mm. And that was so powerful for me because what it showed me was that I was seeking something. I'm also, I'm one of two children. I am not, let's just say, I'm not the preferred child, right? And you're I my was, preferred child. Oh, you know? thanks, Kate. I was seeking something yeah. from women that I would like work for. So they were in a bit of an authority position, right? Or they were a little bit older than me. And I was slotting them in to that mother role. At work. That sounds crazy, right? But I was subconsciously doing it because I wasn't getting what I needed when I grew up from my mom, right? And always striving to be like, well, why not me? Why am why why am I not preferred? So in personal relationships, I was looking for that, right? Like even if somebody was treating me terribly, I want to be preferred. I'm gonna, I'm gonna twist myself into a pretzel for this person just to make sure that they choose me. I want to feel chosen. I want to feel preferred. Mm -hmm. And I was doing that at work too. It also meant that when I got feedback that maybe was not always stellar 
from one of these people that I had subconsciously slotted into this like mother idol role was devastated, devastated. And it could be the smallest thing like flattened. But knowing that, knowing that when she shared that with me and getting up underneath, why am I seeking so much approval in my personal relationships? And then also at work, what, what, why am I so flattened by this, you know, by constructive negative feedback or not constructive negative feedback, (laughs) right? So I encourage people that I talk to, like, I always, I call it um, the seven whys, ask seven whys. And I think if you say, oh, why do you blah, blah, blah? Oh, because I'm intimidated. Why? Ask it seven times. I find seven times is usually enough to get like kind of really down into the roots of what's actually going on, like really challenge yourself. And I find when people do that, they're able to release some things. Again, I'm not helping them as a therapist, but acknowledging some things that may have happened early in their career or even early in their life that set them up to approach people in positions of authority or approach conflict or avoid conflict, whatever it may be, is really helpful for them to start to see how they're showing up and how they can be more successful. I agree. And this was something that, I mean, I grew up going to Al-Anon. My father was an alcoholic when I was a child. He became sober. And and yet my neurological developmental phase was when he was drinking. So there was a lot of, for me, this need to be noticed for being a good person. And what I, underneath that, it was just being noticed mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Because the television was more important than me. Beer was more important than me. So I, I always wondered, like, I would say something and a TV show would be on and I would get screamed at for interrupting the television show. And I would think, why is that television show more important than me? So I moved into a space throughout my life of trying to give people what they needed when they didn't even know that they were needing something so that I could be of service. Mm-hmm. Complete self-neglect at all times because I was constantly searching the world around me for what need can I fulfill so that somebody will notice that I exist. Right. So getting underneath these things really matters. Sometimes you don't have to know all of the details about it in order to move yourself forward. Mm -hmm. But just that one, like your first narcissist neglect, like just that sometimes it's that one word and I'm not here to blame people. It's not really the point, doesn't help. But again, we're back to this idea of, and fried fans are going to be like, yeah, Katie, we know. uh, (laughs) Of gathering data points. Yes. Right? You have to look at things objectively because as much as I like tuning into your body and feeling your emotions, and you can't always trust your emotional reactions to things. Not always, especially if there's a history of trauma. Your mm-hmm. emotional reactions are going to be sometimes extreme. And when you're burnt out, whoo. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're all over the place. You're, so you're gathering not your best self. Yeah. You're not your best self. So gathering data is incredibly important. But now I want to jump into the pretzeling, the lack of integrity, the imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Where did that come in for you? I think for me, it probably comes from the same kind of place, right? It, it was trying to figure out how to be accepted, trying to figure out how to, you know, I, I didn't really 
actively feel competitive, like with my sister, but still felt like I, I kind of had to compete for my mother's attention. Right. And then also, you know, when I was younger, I went to a private school here in Philadelphia that was not particularly diverse. And, um, you know, being one of very few children of color there and not really feeling like I fit in. Um, the things I had were, you know, I was really smart and I was, I felt like I was strong. So I was kind of a bully, um, you know, cause that was the way that I was going to get attention or, or, or be the best. Um, and then I think as I progressed in my career, especially doing a non-traditional path through the law, um, it was hard for me because I didn't sort of have like the instant bona fides, right? Like of you did this and you did that, the law is so conservative. And so I think sort of always, I was in a constant fake it till you make it all the time. I was always trying to convince people that I was the right selection for this job or that I could do it um, and sort of puffing myself up with confidence that I didn't necessarily really have. It was really, it was puffed up insecurity, Right. And so so what then what happens, you start to over promise and under deliver. Right. You start to. And this is what I always say. This is what I say to people. It's a little people find it a little controversial. But when I talk about people, when people say that they feel like an imposter, I say you might feel like an imposter because you are one and you are representing that you are something that you're not or, you know, something that you don't or you're good at something that you're not. Um, stop doing that. Right. First of all, it it feels good to stop doing that. Right. When you're living, which is it's essentially living a lie. Right. Mm -hmm. It's it might be feel like a small shade of a lie, but it's it's a lie. You're slightly out of integrity with yourself. Right. And the bigger the lie, the more out of integrity with yourself you are. And I think I don't remember if I've used this metaphor with you, but it's like when you're in the car and the windshield wipers are going back and forth and there's song on the radio and you're like, oh, wow, look, it's like exactly to the beat. That's awesome, right? Like, damn And inevitably when you're in the car and that's happening, the beat gets ever so slightly off of the windshield wipers. And at some point it's like, the windshield wipers are just like wacky out of, of sync with the beat, right? But when you're out of integrity with yourself, you feel like this all the time, right? Mm -hmm. That will lead to burnout. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and just trying to keep up that facade, keep up that lie. So people who are like, oh, I'm in constant fear of being discovered or found out. Yeah. There's some internal pieces of maybe there's some lack of confidence there, but also have you been telling lies? Stop, stop doing that. And it comes sometimes I think from people's lack of confidence about saying that they don't know something and we get back to the high achievers, right? High achievers don't like to tell you that they don't know something. They want to come up with something on the fly in the moment that sounds good. And they're hoping you don't catch that. Maybe they don't really know as much about it as you think they do. But now you're like, oh, I just said that this was that and I'm not sure. And now they're going to look or they're going to proceed based on that information. And I'm not really, you know, don't put yourself in those positions. Don't paint yourself into those corners. Right. So I think for me, it was learning to stop doing that, knowing I wanted to be in integrity with myself. It's it's very freeing and I have no problem. I mean, I'm a smart chick and I'm really good at my jobs, jobs, plural, since I coach and I do lawyer. But I also will tell somebody in a heartbeat when they ask me a question, if I don't know, I say, I haven't the foggiest idea. Yeah. I can find out. I can look it up. I can look into it. I can tap another resource, right? I have tools at my disposal. But if I don't know, I don't know. And people are so afraid to say that they don't know. 
Fried fam, how often have you heard me tell you to update your mugs or the blanket on your couch? I am so thrilled right now to tell you that I am now partnering with Barabi, that's B-E-A-R-A-B-Y, to bring you the most comfortable and most comforting blankets on the market. Barabi offers a variety of weighted blankets, including the tree napper, which is a cooling option for those who get too hot, the velvet napper, which is made of ocean-bound plastic bottles, plus... They make the Hug It, a sensory knot pillow that will help you find calm, reduce anxiety, and bring your nervous system into a more regulated state. If I were you, I'd get one yesterday. You can find them on Instagram at mybearaby or online at bearaby.com. That's B-E-A-R-A-B-Y.com, and that will be in the show notes. This is a big and a much different conversation than I've ever had about imposter syndrome. Uh, Most of the time you hear people saying, well, you know, you've been told, especially as a woman, especially as a woman of color, that you're not ever going to be good enough and you have to work twice as hard as other people to be where you are. And you have to, and some of those things are true and some of those things are not. And you, you, the information is typically the outside world is fucking with you and it's not your fault. Mm. And this is also information about burnout quite often. Like the outside world is fucking with you and it's not your fault. And I always only semi agree with the burnout version of that because there's some internal stuff happening that might be because of earlier external stuff, but it's still internal now and we still need to deal with it now. So it doesn't like, both both parts of this are important. The external stuff matters and the internal stuff matters. But if you are out of integrity because of stuff that we've all done, and I say we all, including myself, because of stuff that we've all done, a little bit of a lie, a little bit of overstepping when you weren't quite sure but wanted to make an impression, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a little bit of, right? You always have to show up in this like best possible light. I have this complex from growing up in a not great city and being told most of my life that I was going to be judged for it. And I have been, I've changed my accent so that I don't sound like I'm from there anymore, unless I'm talking to my mother. (laughs) Right. And, but, and I thought that that was all over for me and I was still in Prague. This must've been about five years ago. I met somebody and she sounded like I used to sound. And I said, oh, hi, Southeastern Massachusetts. And she was like, how did you know? And I was like, are you kidding? (laughs) Can you hear yourself? And she said, well, where are you from? And I said, oh, Fall River. And she literally eyed me up and down. I was dressed for work. I was at my office as an acupuncturist in a professional setting. She eyed me up and down and went, no, you're not. (gasps) Oh. What? Because I'm not sitting here in sweatpants with a cigarette hanging out of my mouth? Like, what do you mean? Then she turns to the person next to her and starts talking about how this place that I grew up has a nicer side and a not so nice side. And she starts talking about the projects and the not so nice side. And I said, yeah, like I didn't grow up in the projects, but I did grow up in the not so nice side. And she looked at me and she was like, like, and I'm thinking to myself, I've been fighting against this stigma 
for as long as I can remember, and I am still being judged for it. I live in Europe. I have a master's degree. This is my second successful business. I speak three languages. I've been all over the world. And I'm still running away from, I'm still hurt by this. Trying to overcome where I'm from. Mm -hmm. And not everybody feels that way about where Mm -hmm. we grew up. You know, that's not, I'm not saying that's a universal experience, but it was my experience. And so I fell out of integrity with myself often because I was asking a question that sounded like, who do I need to be to not be judged like that? Mm. And what I realized that day was, it doesn't matter who I am. If somebody's going to choose to judge me for that, there's nothing I can do. Yes, and... Mm-hmm. When you tell that story, and I'm sorry that that happened, and I was born in Boston, by the way, so shout out to Southeastern Massachusetts. Hey. Um, it's like the judgment is your own. Yeah, of course. Right? Like it's not, yeah, sure, she was judging you in her shitty way, right? But the most important judgment was your own. And you right the, i think the conversation we want to have with ourselves is okay now that i know this thing or like you know i now that i'm conscious of this thing that i've got right what am i going to do about it right because i'm an adult and i have agency and i have responsibility to do better now that i know um so i can continue to feel like the child who felt helpless and who felt like a victim right? And who very well was a victim, right? But you don't have to be anymore, right? You know, you can release yourself from that. And that may be easier said than done. And it might take a lot of work, right? To let go of those instant triggers, you know, and that instant sort of regression back to like, you can put yourself right back there. You can put yourself right back in that living room, talking over the TV and having somebody scream at you, right? Like that, you you can flash right back there, right? Um, and maybe even just allowing yourself that, like being gentle and kind to yourself when that happens, but then also knowing, okay, but like, how is that making me show up now? Well, and this is the question, right? This pulled me, I allowed this to pull me out of my integrity and out of who I am mm-hmm. because I was trying to fit into some narrative that I was making up in my head as I went along and it was never quite right. So that imposter syndrome was real for me because I was trying to not be who I was, mm-hmm. L- quite literally trying to not be who I was. Did you feel uncovered in that moment? Like, did you feel oh, yeah. exposed Ooh, in some way? Yeah. Like, like she and was I like, told oh, people, fraud, fraud. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. But, and that was, that was when it finally started unwinding for me. It took that moment. Of course, I had like three weeks of being like, what the hell first, you know? And replaying all the things you would have said to her. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I went through that for a while and then I thought, wow, this actually has controlled so much of my behavior over time. So much so that I have unplugged from part of who I am. And now I can plug back in 
And then I moved back to the States and I was, there was like some job opportunities in acupuncture and I was opening an office and maybe thinking, maybe I'll go work somewhere. And I was reading through the description and it was like a very hoity-toity kind, open, definitely not a swearing acceptable kind of place. (laughs) And my first thought was, oh, like I could do this. And then I stopped and I was like, no, you fucking can't. (laughs) (laughs) You literally could never work in a place like this. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do it. (laughs) The amount of artificial pretending that would have to happen to keep it all in. (laughs) Yes. The amount of imposturing you would have to do. And then no wonder you feel like you have imposter syndrome because you're pretending. I love this. I was recently at a conference and I had a conversation with a gentleman who said that um, we were talking about imposter syndrome and he said something that I really hadn't heard before. He said that he has this fear of being like found out that he's not like as capable as people think he is or as smart as people think he is, but he's not sure he wants to do anything about that because he said the fear is what drives him. And for him, that's very tied up in his success. So he's acknowledged that that's there, that that's a thing. And that's probably not awesome. But in his mind, that's the only fuel he has to go to as he continues to go, you know, progress in his career. And he's very high up in like a well-known company. And I said to him, I said, okay, you know, I I get that. And I'm not going to tell you that fear can't do that. But like, does that feel good? And he was like, wow. No, <laughs> something to consider, right? Yeah. That that whole fake it till you make it. Um, and I also just want to say, for the record, I am of the belief. I always hear about people talking about managing imposter syndrome. I really think you can eliminate slash overcome imposter syndrome. I mm. don't think it's used like something you've got to live with, like a backpack you carry all the time, right? It will, you know, peep out of a little foxhole every now and again, maybe. I honestly think that there are things that you can do. And I do coach people all the time around how to eliminate it. Cause I feel like people only talk about managing it. Like it's a condition you're, you're never well, let's eliminate it. Step one. So, step, step, <laughs> let's do step, this. Right. So step one. So first of all, evidence is a big piece of it, right? Like yeah. you talked about data, I think building evidence of things that you know, that you've done, that you're good at B being in integrity with yourself and stop telling the lies, stop pretending to be something that you are not because imposter syndrome can come from internal. And it can also come from people sort of trying to impose it on you, making you feel like you're not good enough or you don't meet the mark, right? Mm -hmm. You might not be able to do a lot about this external stuff, but you can fix the internal stuff. And when you fix that internal stuff, you're a lot better positioned to push back against that external stuff and not have imposter syndrome imposed on you, right? unapologetic authenticity. And so that kind of goes along with that integrity. So it's not just about stop lying, right? We're going to use lying as our shorthand for what I've kind of explained. Stop lying, but also unapologetically be your authentic self, right? And and let me just add an, I'm going to add a nuance. I'm going to add a nuance. Yes, please. Yes, please. I I was going to ask the question anyway, so go ahead. (laughs) I think this has come up uh, recently with a very well-known person who I won't, you know, say her name, but, you know, with people kind of pushing back against some of her work around, you know, vulnerability and um, courage because the opportunity for to display those kinds of things may not always be the same for everybody, right? Yes. 
And I've given this some thought. It is true. I, I, I mean, that's true, right? We're, yeah. we're not all similarly situated. You know, women of color, L, the people, well, I'm just saying people in the LGBTQ, you know, I focus on women, but, you know, it, people in the LGBTQ community, um, differently abled people, neurodivergent, like people don't always have the same opportunity to show speak up. up, be vulnerable, right? Show up, um, push back, right? I believe that. Unmask, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there there can be greater ramifications for yes. doing some of those things. So I, I 100% acknowledge that um, as a woman of color, right? Like I've, I've seen that. Um, and yes, and um, I do feel like there is, we have to be pioneers to a certain extent. We're going to have to blaze trails to a certain extent. If we're waiting for environments that really aren't built for us to give us permission to do these things and thinking like, I'm waiting for that to happen without there being any fallout from that, we're going to keep waiting. So I would rather stick my neck out a little bit, knowing that I don't have exactly the same kinds of latitude to speak up and add my voice to hopefully what becomes a chorus of voices versus sit back and say, yeah, I don't have the same opportunity and I don't want to do it because it feels unsafe. And I'm not imposing that on anybody else. I'm just saying that's kind of where I come from. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've seen it, you know, I've seen it. Uh, Backfire. Yeah, I've seen it kick me in the butt. Um, but I don't care because again, it's a data point for me. Like if I find myself in a place where I can't, uh, you know, um, unapologetically be my authentic self and that's not being, a, I mean, maybe that is being obnoxious. Maybe that is who I am, but I just mean, you know, like saying what I need to say, having an equal voice at the table, showing up as my real self. It's a data point that yeah. it's not welcome there. Right. It's a data point that that might not be my place. Uh, and that doesn't make it easy, but it starts to make it a little simpler. So those are the kinds of things where we start to address the the imposter syndrome. Um, and again, that piece of getting underneath, you've got this lack of confidence in yourself where you feel like you have to do this puffery, where you feel like you have to fake it till you make it. You know, um, you feel like you're not good enough. You feel like they're questioning your ability or questioning what kind of value you can contribute all the time. If you're always in that place. Why? Go back to those seven whys. Dig, 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 dig. Start to figure it out. Where does it start? Where does it come from? At least knowing where it comes from, even if you can't fix it, knowing where that starts and where that comes from and how that makes you show up just creates a little bit more consciousness where you can make different kinds of decisions. I want to dig into this just a tiny bit more because this is something that can either end up being used as a stake for using agency and self-efficacy or an excuse, Mm. right? So when we dig into why, this is one of the best life coaching exercises there is, the why, right? It's, It's the best. So you dig in, you dig in, you dig in, you get to something. And some people will say, well, now that's just how I am because of what happened to me. So what do we do to encourage self-efficacy and saying, okay, that's part of your story, but that doesn't have to, like you said before, that doesn't have to control you today. You're an adult. 
Mm-hmm. You can make a different choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's tricky. You know, some people are so attached, like in a codependent way, almost to the trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's just, be- it's become, I have conversations, you know, with one of my girlfriends about this, like stuff that she's brought forward from her childhood. It's just like, it feels so familiar that it feels safe, even if it's unsafe, right? Because Okay, say that one more time. Slow, <laughs> okay. that, slow, that, slow that down and say it again, because I need everybody to <laughs> brace themselves to hear these words. Okay. Sometimes we attach ourselves to trauma because it feels so familiar that it feels safe even if it's unsafe, right? So we're attracted to the same kind of shitty relationships, shitty dynamics. We feel, we might feel actively uncomfortable with something that is just, you know, not even subjectively, objectively better, right? To have somebody speak to us with respect instead of speak to us in a disrespectful way. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, objectively, that's a better choice, not subjectively. And for some people that makes them uncomfortable because that feels unfamiliar and the familiarity of being talked to in a degrading or an abusive way feels unfortunately like home. So what I would say to people who are having a hard time lifting up out of that. And some people never will, unfortunately, it's just the way that it is. Right. But I think if people are open to that, but they're trying to figure out how, maybe I would encourage them to take themselves back and say, what do you wish had happened? How do you wish it had been like paint that picture? Right. Cause you can probably, even if you feel safe in the unsafety, right? Like you can acknowledge that it wasn't great (laughs) and you can acknowledge what your younger self probably wanted instead and then bring yourself back to now where hopefully you have more agency you haven't repeated so many mistakes of the past that you've locked yourself into another really crappy situation where you don't have agency but if you've got a little bit how can you start to create a little piece of that for yourself now or a big piece but whatever you're willing to take off and bite and chew right this minute, how can you get closer to what you would have wanted it to look like? I think that's the exercise I would try to gently sort of invite somebody to undertake. So oftentimes, if if there's people out there that want to look into doing something like that, this is um, often called t- uh, like a timeline exercise or... Um, an imprint exercise. A lot of NLP Mm -hmm. practitioners do it a lot of, so this is an exercise that is fairly commonly done in the coaching community can also be done with therapy. Um, So if anybody's looking for that, just look for those types of words because it is an incredibly useful exercise. One that I have used a lot personally. I haven't used it a lot with, um, with clients because I will often refer to people who specialize in things like that in, in those types of situations. But I have used it, uh, getting coached through it from my coach quite frequently. And it is a very, very important exercise. And I want to speak to safety for a moment because, again, I mean, I ha- half my listeners are like rolling their eyes and they're like, yeah, we know, we know safety <laughs> is the core of burnout recovery. You say it all. Okay. If what you've created 
in co-created in your life with your family of origin, with your environment, with your culture, with your whatever, if what you've co-created in this life is a feeling of safety that's not actually safe. This mm-hmm. is a dysregulated nervous system. Mm-hmm. This is what needs healing for burnout to be able to heal. We need your nervous system to be able to feel safe in safety. And a lot of it is just practice. A lot of it is practice. And it's practicing things like this. It's practicing digging into your why. It's practicing allowing people to treat you well and sitting with the discomfort. Mm -hmm. It's practicing not assuming that everything that everybody says is against you in some way, shape, or form. It's practicing and it's fucking hard. Mm-hmm. To your point about, you know, being in safety that's not safe, you know, having created this ecosystem for yourself. That's, that's your point. That Right. <laughs> As you underscored my point. Um, it kind of goes back to the windshield wipers, right? Yeah. Because there's a part of you, there's something back here in your brain, even as you're living in this sort of safe but not safe thing that's saying, this doesn't feel super aligned, right? I've like made do and I'm going along to get along and I've made the nest and yeah, I mean, it feels like, feels like home, feels like childhood, but there's something that's telling you that the radio and the wipers are not on beat. And you might not know exactly what to do with that information, but it's worth paying attention to and listening and trying to key in on what that is. And even when you key in on what it is, you might not know what to do with that information. But I think as you baby step it along, you will empower yourself to either decide, you know what, actually, this thing does not bother me as much, or it's time for a change. Right. Um, so that you can feel more in alignment and those windshield wipers and that that beat on the radio do feel like they are humming along in sync. Um, but yeah, that's it's tough. It, it's tough. And, and, it, and it is so wearing to yeah. be sitting in that cognitive dissonance where, you know, something's just slightly off and you're not really acknowledging it and you're trying to like kind of kick it under the carpet. It is wearing you down. Somebody just, I just read something. Um, oh, I think it was uh, something that I think it was the thing that you attacked. Like, it's not the elephant in the room. It's there's a panther in the room and it's been eating people alive for quite some time, right? Like that's, it's the panther in your brain, on your heart, in your soul that is eating you alive from the inside just because there's that cognitive dissonance and you're trying to ignore it. Don't ignore it. Just, just figure out what it is. Try to face it. It's scary. You know, and you might have to upend some things in your life, but um, I think your health and your very survival depend upon it. Agreed. And this is where therapy and coaching and support and help and friends and it all comes together. It all comes together to support you. I do not believe in doing things like this by yourself. And I don't say that because I want to be your coach. I frankly probably don't have the time. (laughs) She's very busy. Very busy, but you should hire somebody. You should work with somebody. And if you need to use better help, because what you can handle is $32 a month in a group program. Cool. Do that. 
fine. Whatever is within your reach. If you need to go to your local church and use the community counseling because you can't pay $32 a month for whatever, I don't know how much better help is, but it's not expensive. If whatever you need to use, lean into it, mm-hmm. use it. There is a resource for you somewhere, right? Even within the fried community, we have free office hours. We have a free Facebook group. We have low cost masterclasses. We have low cost group coaching, right? We have a whole bunch of things available for people. If you have a little bit more, work with somebody you really resonate with. If you're listening to this and you're like, Nina is amazing, which is what I think, hire hire her. Do it. Invest in the coaching. Get it done. Because being seen by someone that you respect in that way will heal you faster than anything else. Agreed. Well said. Especially the part about hiring me, but especially yeah. that part. <laughs> we didn't even plan that, you guys. No. It just came out naturally, like an elegant dance. <laughs> Welcome to our tango, Nina. Do you have any parting words? Um, you know, just I want people out there to know their value and their worth, even if you're not in an environment that showing you your value and your worth or appreciating it, you have so much to offer you so much to give. You just might need to change the scenery to feel fulfilled, to feel seen, you know, to feel like you're contributing, um, you know, to echo, you know, Kate's point. If, if you, if you've got a little, if you've got a little more feel, how, figure out how you can reach back, you know, you reach up for help and you reach back to help. So who can you mentor? Whose path can you can you alter in a way that you wish that yours yours had been? Who can you show generosity of spirit? Um, I encourage everybody to do that. And honestly, sometimes by coaching other people through things or coaching, you know, a, men, a mentee who's a little younger and a little earlier, maybe their career or their life through something, you gain insights into what you're going through. You get perspective, you know, um, it just gives you a place to to exhale a little bit, focus on somebody else for a minute, feel gratitude for what you've got, but also maybe get some perspective on how you can address some of the things you're struggling with. So, um, yeah, I, I I hope everybody really takes that to heart. And I'm glad they have your podcast to continue to sustain them, guard against burnout or rescue them from the frying pan or potentially the fire. So it's good stuff you're doing here. Thank you. All right, Fried Fam. That is it for yet another full of healing episode of Fried, the burnout podcast. You know that my goal each and every time we get on the mic is to create space for you to have at least one aha moment, one piece of resonance that works for you, that helps you heal, that moves you forward, that moves you along. I cannot wait to hear what it was about this episode that moved you along. Feel free to tag Nina and I all over LinkedIn. We'd love that. Absolutely. (laughs) Feel free to do that. We're into it. We can't wait to hear what you think. And until then, be gentle with yourselves, please. Until next time.